Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 9. Our Messiah says, Therefore you should pray like this, Our Father in heaven, Your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come, Your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive people their wrongdoing, your heavenly Father will forgive you as well. But if you don't forgive people, your Father will not forgive your wrongdoing. May Yahweh bless His Word to all of our hearts this day. Last week we covered the first line in the Lord's Prayer, dealing with the Heavenly Father and His holy name. And today we're going to look at the second line in verse 10, which speaks of His kingdom coming and His will being done on earth as it is in heaven. Right at the beginning, what we can immediately gather from verse 10 is this, is that Yahweh has a kingdom which makes Him a king. As a king, He is sovereign, meaning He has the most authority of all beings in the universe. He has the freest will of anybody. He makes the rules. He calls the shots. And also, we are to pray for His kingdom to come. Scripture speaks of it coming down out of the highest heaven to this earth. And then, part of the prayer also speaks of the will of Yahweh being done on earth as it is in heaven. In heaven where Yahweh dwells, His will is being carried out. And we are to pray that Yahweh's will, what He wants and what He desires, be carried out here on the earth as it is up in heaven. When we think of the kingdom of Yahweh, we need to think in two terms. Already and not yet. There are verses in the Bible that speak of the kingdom being a reality right now. Since the Messiah has come. For instance, Matthew 3 verse 2, John the baptizer comes preaching that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Some Bibles say the kingdom of heaven is near. Near and at hand doesn't mean far away. It means close in proximity. But yet there are other verses that speak of the kingdom being something that we wait for in the future. At the Messiah's final coming. Sometimes we call it His second coming. For instance, in Mark 15 verse 43, at the end of the Messiah's ministry, after He had died, it says that Joseph of Arimathea was a good man and he was waiting or looking forward to the coming kingdom. Look with me to the Gospel of St. Luke chapter 17. In Luke 17, we get one of those verses that teach us the already of the kingdom. Luke 17, beginning at verse 20, reading through verse 21, it says, Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of the Almighty will come, He answered them, The kingdom of the Almighty is not coming with something observable. No one will say, Look here or there, for you see, the kingdom of the Almighty is among you. Some Bibles say it is within you. Yeshua often spoke not quite as vividly with the Pharisees because He was challenging a lot of their understandings of the Scriptures. Here we see there is an aspect of the coming kingdom, the kingdom being within us here at the first coming of the Messiah. Flip your Bible to Luke 19. Luke 19 verses 11 through 13 teach us the not yet of the kingdom. We have an already, but we also have a not yet. 
Luke 19, verse 11, as they were listening to this, he went on to tell a parable because he was near Jerusalem and they thought that the kingdom of the Almighty was going to appear right away. Therefore, he said, a nobleman traveled to a far country to receive for himself authority to be king and then return. He called ten of his servants, gave them ten minas and told them, engage in business until I come back. That nobleman there in verse 12 that travels to a far country to receive authority to be king, that's the Messiah. The far country that he traveled to was the third heaven. And Yahweh gave him authority. And he will come back. But he went on a long journey. So this is teaching us the not yet of the kingdom. In one sense of the word, we experience parts of Yahweh's kingdom now as believers in His Messiah. In another sense of the word, we await until the fullness of the kingdom comes and paradise is restored on earth as it already is in heaven. This is very similar to the new covenant, which is synonymous with the kingdom. People in our movement argue back and forth as to whether we are in the new covenant or not in the new covenant right now. And the answer is yes and no. And that's not being double-minded. That's just recognizing that just like with kingdom talk, there's an already but not yet. With the new covenant, there's an already but not yet. If you have repented of your sins and been baptized into the Messiah, calling on the name of Yahweh, receiving Yeshua as the Son of Yahweh, then the new covenant has begun in your life. Yahweh is writing, writing, process, time. He's writing His law on your heart and your mind right now. That's why you think differently than other people. It's because you're a son or a daughter of Yahweh. Because He's writing His law on your heart. But you will experience the fullness of the new covenant when you are resurrected to immortality, deathlessness. And at that time, the law will be completely written upon your heart. And you won't have to ask me or anybody else, where's that verse at that talks about the beard? Or where's that verse at that talks about not eating pork. You won't have to ask that because you'll know the law from front to back, back to front perfectly. Why? Because it will be completely written on your heart. You probably can already do that with some things now. You know why? Because He's writing it on your heart. But it's a process. It's a process. One big aspect of the New Covenant in Hebrews chapter 8, it talks about this, is that each person will not have to teach his fellow citizen to know Yahweh, for all will know Yahweh from the least to the greatest. Knowing Yahweh is defined in the Bible as keeping His commandments. First John chapter 2 says, This is how we know that we know Him, if we keep His commandments. Well, there will come a time when we won't have to teach each other the commandments anymore. I teach them here at our Sabbath meeting now. We discuss them amongst ourselves to learn better how to observe them. We learn and we grow and we change our understanding as we increase. We go back and we look at it again. We increase a little bit more. I found some stuff in my studies that I talked about at Bible study today that I had never known before until I studied this week. And that's because this is a living word. It's active and it jumps off the page at you. And there's never a time when you will know everything that this word or that the Torah teaches in this life. 
We look forward to the resurrected life, the life in the new heavens and the new earth, a life of immortality, a life of deathlessness. It's a process. He gradually teaches us, sometimes through private study, sometimes through prayer, sometimes through your fellow neighbor and Yahweh with discussion. The kingdom and the new covenant is an already but not yet concept. It's okay to believe that the kingdom is now in one sense. It's okay. Yeshua said the kingdom is among you or is within you. But you still believe that it's future in its fullest sense. Here's another point about this part of the prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. The gospel, you heard people talk about preach the gospel. Preach the gospel. I'm living for this gospel. I'm standing for this gospel. Well, the gospel message, gospel means good news. It's the good news about the kingdom. Now, I missed that when I was growing up. I thought that the gospel was only the death, burial, and resurrection of the Messiah. That's part of the gospel. That's a big part of the gospel. But if you only preach the death, burial, and resurrection of the Messiah, you leave out the gospel of the kingdom. And you also leave out the life of the Messiah. He didn't just show up to die. He showed up to live. So we don't want to leave out any part of the gospel. Look at Matthew chapter 4. These verses were in here all the time. I mentioned today in our study that sometimes things are right in front of us, but we can't see them because the eyes can't see where the mind is blind. I told the story about a cop that pulled me over for making an illegal left-hand turn one time and asked me if I saw the sign, and I said no. And I went back the next time, and there it was, the sign that said, no left-hand turns, big as a stop sign. The eyes cannot see what the mind or where the mind is blind. Well, here's a verse that was in here the whole time, Matthew 4, verse 23. Yeshua was going all over Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom. He wasn't even teaching anything about His death and resurrection at this point. As a matter of fact, there was a time, if you continue to read in the Gospel, where He finally opens up to His apostles, His disciples, Apostle Peter, and He tells them the Son of Man has to be betrayed into the hands of sinful men and He'll be crucified, but on the third day He'll rise again. And Peter gets upset. You know why? Because he had never heard anything like that yet from the Messiah. When the Messiah came teaching the Gospel, He taught the, the Gospel of the Kingdom. That the kingdom was coming. Now he's the king, so he's part of the gospel, but it's not just death, burial, and resurrection. Look at Matthew 9, verse 35. Matthew 9, 35, a few pages over. It says, Then Yeshua went to all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues. Synagogue was a what we would call a church or an assembly. Preaching the good news of the kingdom. And healing every disease and every sickness. When he saw the crowds, he felt compassion for them because they were weary and worn out like a sheep without a shepherd. Why is the kingdom good news? Turn to Revelation 21. I'm going to show you why the kingdom is such good news, Revelation 21. And while you turn there, I want you to remember... In those two texts we just read, Matthew 4.23 and Matthew 9.35, when Yeshua would preach the gospel of the kingdom, it says He would heal 
the diseases and the sicknesses of the people because he had compassion on them. And they they were wore out and they were weary. And they would come to him when they found out the power that he had. They would come to him and say, please, please, my daughter is sick. Please, my servant is hurt. And he would have compassion on them and heal people. That's a big part of how the Messiah's first coming brought on the kingdom of Yahweh. One of the ways, remember this, one of the ways Yeshua's first coming ushered in the kingdom was through His healing ministry. He didn't have a healing ministry where He had to set up a tent and somebody had to come down to the stage in front of everybody and get healed. He went to where the sick were at. He went to where the diseased were at. The towns and the villages. And He didn't put on a bunch of fanfare. And He didn't take up offering after offering after offering and milk people heart of their hard-earned money. He just healed them. And He didn't have to work up a sweat. And He didn't have to talk a bunch of words. He just stuck His hand out, touched them and said, You are healed. He was bringing the kingdom on. Look at Revelation 21, verses 1-5. through 5. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea existed no longer. And I also saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from the Almighty, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look, Yahweh's dwelling is with men. And He will live with them. They will be His people. And Yahweh Himself will be with them and be their mighty one. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will exist no longer. Grief, crying, and pain will exist no longer. Because the previous things have passed away. Then the one seated on the throne, said, Look, I am making everything new. He also said, Write, because these words are faithful and they are true. That makes me cry just reading it. The holy city that is up there comes down here. Our blessed hope is not the rapture. Our blessed hope is the resurrection. Our blessed hope is not going to heaven. Our blessed hope is heaven coming to us. Paradise, Eden, being restored on this earth. Whereas the first coming of the Messiah healed some, the final coming of the Messiah will heal everyone who believes in Him. The miraculous gift of healing will cease because there won't be anyone who needs to be healed. Look at Isaiah 65. Let's go to the Older Testament. I don't want somebody saying I only read out of the Newer Testament. Isaiah 65. Yahweh, we praise You today. We love You. You're so good to us. Isaiah 65, verses 17 through 25. This is Yahweh speaking here. Through the prophet. Remember the prophet stands in the place of Yahweh on the earth. And Yahweh says through Isaiah. For I will create a new heaven and a new earth. The past events will not be remembered or come to mind. 
Then be glad and rejoice forever in what I am creating. For I will create Jerusalem to be a joy and its people to be a delight. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. The sound of weeping and crying will no longer be heard in her. In her, I'll talk about this verse in a second, but in her a nursing infant will no longer live only a few days or an old man not live out his days. Indeed, the youth will die at a hundred years and the one who misses a hundred years will be cursed. People will build houses and live in them. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They will not build and others live in them. They will not plant and others eat. For my people's lives will be like the lifetime of a tree. My chosen ones will fully enjoy the work of their hands. They will not labor without success or bear children destined for disaster. For they will be a people blessed by Yahweh along with their descendants. Even before they call, I will answer. While they are still speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb will feed together and the lion will eat straw like the ox. But the serpent's food will be dust. They will not do what is evil or destroy on my entire holy mountain, says Yahweh. It's beautiful, isn't it? Some people may wonder why the deaths are mentioned here in Isaiah 65 verse 20. And there's one belief that's a pretty good belief. And that is that this is the first stage of the kingdom. What people call the 1,000 year reign of or millennial reign of the Messiah. Revelation talks about this in which all things being made new begins, and yet people are still able to be born, live, and die. And I think that's a strong possibility. That's a strong belief. I'm not sure about it, but that's one way that people interpret this. I'm open to further understanding. But I want you to notice in verse 20 that there is a longevity of life similar to the pre-flood age when humans lived to be hundreds and hundreds of years old. Like even when Yahweh took Enoch, In Genesis chapter 5, Enoch was 365 years old. I believe that corresponds to the solar year, but he was 365 years old when Yahweh took him. Methuselah lived, what, 969 years. Adam lived 930 years. Notice in verse 20, a nursing infant will no longer live only a few days, or an old man not live out his days. Indeed, the youth will die at 100 years. In other words, when somebody dies in this first stage of the kingdom, at a hundred years old, people will think, man, he was young. (laughs) Whereas now, if somebody makes it to a hundred years old, we think, oh, he lived a long time. There's also the concept of immortals and mortals living together at this stage in the millennium kingdom. Just like the resurrected Yeshua, when he was resurrected to immortality, deathlessness, he lived among the mortals until he was taken up into heaven. He even ate fish as a resurrected immortal man. He even ate fish right there on the seashore. So there's a lot that goes on in this text and I could probably teach a sermon series on this text. But there's a lot to discuss. There's a lot to debate. But the passage speaks of a new heavens and new earth. Very similar to Revelation 21. It speaks of long life. It speaks of peace. It speaks of evil and destruction being gone and it speaks of wild animals and domesticated animals living together. Whereas now the wolf comes after the lamb as an attacker. Verse 25 says, at this time the wolf and the lamb will feed together. You probably heard people say the lion and the lamb will lay down together. That's one of those verses that's not in the Bible but people have said it so much they wonder where it's at in the Bible. (laughs) It says the wolf and the lamb will feed together. Turn to Isaiah chapter 2. We're talking about the kingdom of Yahweh. 
This is our hope. This is why we live. It's for the kingdom. Isaiah 2, verses 2 through 4. It says, In the last days, the mountain of Yahweh's house will be established at the top of the mountains and will be raised above the hills, and all nations will stream to it. And many peoples will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of Yahweh and to the house of the Almighty of Jacob. He will teach us about His ways so that we may walk in His paths, for instruction will go out of Zion and the word of Yahweh from Jerusalem. So again, this possibly could be the first stage of the kingdom. Some people call the millennium. Verse 4, He will settle disputes among the nations and provide arbitration for many peoples. And this is the part I like. They will turn their swords into plows and their spears into pruning knives. Nations will not take up the sword against other nations and they will never again train for war. KJV says they will turn their spears into pruning hooks. I tried to put that in the August rain song one time. Frankie vetoed that. He said, we live in the, the 21st century. We can't sing the word pruning hooks. So we turned it. We changed it to catchy hooks. Maybe they'll use all their catchy hooks. You know. But they'll turn their swords into plows and their spears into pruning knives. That means implements that are used for war to hurt and destroy will be turned into implements used for what? Gardening. Peaceful. Yahweh loves gardening. In Genesis, right after Yahweh made Adam, it says that Yahweh planted a garden in Eden and He set Adam over it. I like that. Yahweh's perfect will there in His kingdom be no more war, no more fighting, but peace. We need to pray to be peaceful now too. Let's think about praying that Yahweh's will be done. That part of that prayer that says, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I think first and foremost, Thy will is speaking of the coming kingdom in context. Yahweh's will is peace, prosperity, righteousness, all things associated with His kingdom. That's the will of Yahweh we are to pray for. When we pray, we should pray for peace and righteousness and prosperity. We should want Yahweh's kingdom to come. Now that's an actual event. The coming of the kingdom is an actual event in which there will be beautiful peace and prosperity and righteousness. But I think that we can pray for the kingdom to come to earth and it be less than the actual event. What I mean is we can pray for the kingdom to come to earth in our everyday lives. We can pray for someone to be healed. And if they're healed by the mercy of Yahweh, that's part of the kingdom. We can pray for someone to be forgiven. And if they're forgiven by the mercy of Yahweh, that's part of the kingdom. We can pray for peace. And if peace takes place, that's part of the kingdom. We can pray for the wars to stop. That'd be part of the kingdom. We can pray for prosperity and success in life. And that's part of the kingdom. When any of these things happen on a smaller scale than the actual kingdom that will come down out of heaven, it's still a piece of the kingdom coming down from heaven to earth Because every good and perfect gift is from the Father of lights with whom there is no shadow or variable in turning. They all come from Him. Another thing here about the will of Yahweh, the will of Yahweh is paramount. We should realize that sometimes we pray and ask Yahweh for things that are not in line with His perfect will. That doesn't mean that we're a bad prayer. It just means that we don't understand everything that Yahweh understands. That doesn't mean we're praying in a bad way. 
It's just that how we think things should work out are not always how Yahweh wants them to work out. And I'm not here to explain all of that to you. I'm not. I've sat and talked with many people who have had loved ones that died. And they look at me and ask why, and I don't have the answer. Yahweh's will is paramount. And whether or not I can explain it or understand it, we just have to trust that He's a He's a good mighty one. We might pray that Yahweh remove us from a trial. Things get hard in our life and the first thing we do is what? Yahweh, please help me. Take this away from me. I don't like this. But Yahweh may have placed that trial in our life to teach us a lesson or to build our faith and build our character. James chapter 1. Sometimes we pray for sick people to be healed. Sometimes they're healed in this life. Other times we pray for sick people to be healed and they, they don't get healed in this life. Some people in Christianity blame that on a person's lack of faith. They say, well, if you had more faith, they would have been healed or you didn't pray the right prayer or whatever, so forth and so on. I don't agree with all that mumbo-jumbo. When Yeshua prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane before He died, He was hurting. He was sweating because it was hard. He was a human being. It was tough. But when He got through with asking the Father to take the cup away from Him, which was the cup of death, He said, but nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And I pray many prayers throughout the week. And I always, always say, but nevertheless, Yahweh, not my will, but thine be done. Because I'm not Yahweh. He knows what's best. So I don't agree with all that. Well, you've got to have more faith or you didn't have enough faith for them to be healed. I don't agree with all that. Because all through the Bible, I see righteous people get sick. I see righteous people die. Matter of fact, every single righteous person that's recorded in this Bible died. Abraham died. Job died. It's appointed in a man wants to die. Death is the greatest sickness of all. So if we can pray and get rid of sickness all the time, then we ought to be able to pray and none of us die. Doesn't make sense though. It's a point in the man wants to die. We're, we're flesh. We're human. We're corruptible. We're mortal. So it's much better to just believe that sometimes Yahweh's will is not for a person to be healed in this life. I know that that's hard. But I believe it's biblical reality. When somebody acts like you don't have enough faith to be healed or that you just aren't righteous enough or whatever, it just stems from their pride. Everybody that stays sick is not wicked and everybody who gets healed is not righteous. It's all up to the sovereign will of Yahweh. We should pray and we should believe and we should ask specifically. And I do when I pray. But in the end, we should always say with our Messiah, not my will, but yours be done, Yahweh. Matthew 6, verse 10. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If Yahweh is all-powerful and all-knowing, then it has to be true that He knows what is best for our life and for the lives 
in the whole world. All of this, what I've talked about in this lesson, is embedded into thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's be a people focused on Yahweh's kingdom. And let's be a people focused on Yahweh's will. So much more I could get into, but this is the highlights of this part of the prayer. May Yahweh bless you. I love everybody. Shalom.